All right, well, good morning, everyone. So we're going to be in uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 24, and I've debated about how to cover these next uh, chapters, and um, they, they hang together in a way that is a bit different um, because this chapter in the middle doesn't seem to fit at first glance. So one way would be to go through them like we have been doing and then to step back and see how they look together. I think I'm going to take the opposite approach and and look at them all together and then uh, next week we can decide if there's anything worth revisiting uh, for the details. Um, So it's going to be a a big chunk of of scripture and those of you that have read ahead um, will be okay. Those of you that didn't read ahead, you need to read uh, <laughs> because uh, I'm not going to go through every verse. Uh, it's a lot of reading, uh, but we're definitely going to hit the high spots. I don't know if any of you ever um, went to uh, Bible college or a, or a Christian college and took an Old Testament survey class, but uh, you know they cover the whole Old Testament in one semester. And uh, when they talk about hitting the high spots, they really hit the high spots. So we're going to mostly hit the high spots. Uh, of, of this uh, of this section, um, for context, um, you'll remember in in um, chapter twenty three, we left David um, as a fugitive, hiding among the hills and the caves um, of uh, the wilderness of Judah, uh, that area to the west of the Dead Sea, a barren land, um, not a good place to hang out. Um, we've talked about the Psalms. In uh, Psalm 57, uh, David says, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. In this famous phrase, till the storms of destruction pass by. Uh, this is a, he talks about a dry and weary land, and that's, that's this territory here. Uh, so, we find that um, Paul, uh, to keep doing that, Saul was um, pursuing David and was close to getting him when he got word that the Philistines were attacking on another front and he had to leave. And that's where we pick up in chapter 24. And it says in verse 1, when Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi." Uh, Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. Uh, so Saul's like, hey, good to know where he is. Uh, I am, I'm all about trying to get David. Um, as this has gone on, I've gotten, kind of forgotten why he's after David. I'm not sure he even remembers why he's after him. Uh, but, uh, but he's got this thing against David. And uh, we are going to read verse 3. We can't pass this up. And he came to the sheepholds, by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to poop. <laughs> that's, that's an accurate translation there. Um, they clean it up to relieve himself. But everybody agrees this means he went in there to poop. And um, so, so yeah, um, as it happens, verse 4, now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave, and you got to be thinking, 
what? Um, and the men of David said to him, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. No, that, not exactly. That's not what they said. <laughs> here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand. So here we have um, David's men who have seen lots of wonderful things. They've seen God intervene. They've had a glimpse of what the hand of providence looks like. And they're like, this is it. We have looked forward to the day that God is going to deliver Saul into your hand. And here we pretty much have them um, about as easy a mark as a man would ever be, uh, somewhat indisposed. So, so that's where things are. David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now this by itself is, is amazing to me, right? So you got a cave big enough to hold several hundred men, right? Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a cave, but it's like a big echo chamber. But somehow David is stealthy enough to sneak up right next to Saul while he's taking care of business and so close that he is able to cut off a corner of his robe. Um, I, I don't know. There's just a lot here that maybe we should go back and, and, and unpack, so to speak. But in any event, um, he actually felt <coughs> David at this point, his, his conscience is so soft he actually feels bad cutting off the corner of the king's robe. Um, the, these kingly garments, apparently, that he was wearing uh, uh, just signified the, the position that Saul had. And he actually feels bad cutting that off. But he actually has to restrain his men from taking matters into their own hands. Saul finishes up. He leaves. Then David goes out of the cave, hollers to Saul and says in verse 9, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks you harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today in my hand in the cave, and some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hand. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. Why does he call him my father? He's his father-in-law, right? That's one reason. Um, to highlight the fact, hey, you know, this is your son-in-law. Um, and I could have killed you, but I didn't. And Saul, who is, you know, the epitome of a politician, has these brief moments of where you just think, you just think he's there, right? You just think he has um, seen the error of his ways and he is going to uh, just have a total change of heart. In verse 16, Saul lifted up his voice and, and wept said, David, you're more righteous than I, for you've repaid me good, whereas I've repaid you evil. And you've declared this day how you've dealt with me and that you didn't kill me. Verse 19, for if a man finds enemy, will he let him go away safe? May the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me. I know that you're going to be king. Verse 21, swear to me, therefore, that the Lord, you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name. 
David swore, Saul went home, David went back into hiding, and you think, this is great, things are going to work out, you know, the, the one-hour episode of the TV show is wrapped up nice and neat in a bow, as it always does, a happy ending, and they lived happily ever after, right? Alas, that was not to be the case. So now we have this interesting chapter 25. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. So there's a lot in that one sentence. Um, it's, I guess it's almost like you can have someone so famous that you could either spend a long time talking about it, or you just have to say, here's what happened, and everybody kind of feels the weight of that, and I think that's how this turns out. So now we have this very interesting account. David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. There was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. This man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. So here we have a nice introduction to our story. We've learned who the main characters are going are to be. We've learned a little bit about them, where they live. Um, we find out that this was a very rich man. We've, we know the season. It's the season of sheep shearing. And all these people are coming together. And in verse 4, it says, Now David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep. Well, at sheep shearing time, it was festival time. It was, in essence, for a shepherd, it was harvest time. This is when um, the wool has been growing this whole time. It's time to harvest the wool, and this is when you get your payoff. This is when you sell your crop, so to speak, and this is when you have your parties. And uh, this is, uh, if you remember, all the way... I get my timeline. Yes, <laughs> David came after Boaz. Uh, remember the story of Ruth and Boaz? Um, it was harvest time um, for the grain then. And they were on the threshing floor and there was a party and all that happened then. Well, this is the same thing, but for sheep. And so this is a good time. Everybody's in a good mood. So here's a guy who's super rich. And now's a good time to see if I can, you know, basically ask for some help here. Uh, David's been in the wilderness. We know it's wilderness, so there's not lots of game. There's not lots of crops. There's not lots of farmers who are there to help you out. It's basically just shepherds wandering around. And so David comes and asks Nabal. He basically says, while your shepherds were roaming in the wilderness, we kind of looked out after them. You didn't lose any sheep to marauders. Uh, we protected them. Uh, we looked after them, and they know us. We know them. And for that reason, can you help us out? And so David sends some men to talk with Nabal uh, to get that. In verse 8, it says, therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. In other words, hey, you're very rich, and you're getting richer today because it's sheep shearing day 
Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. So the servants came and said that, and verse 10, Nabal answers his servants and says, Who's David? Now, we know that David wasn't like an unknown, right? He did the whole Goliath thing. That was kind of big news back then as a kid, right? Um, they knew he was Saul's son-in-law. They knew he had a, I mean, that was the chant, right? Saul's killed its thousands and David's killed his ten thousands. He was kind of a big deal. So when he says, who's David? Who's the son of Jesse? You know, so many people are breaking away from their servants. How do I know, you know, who, who, who are you? Well, verse 13, David is not having it. He says, strap it on, guys. Strap on. He said, every man strap on his sword. Every man strapped on his sword, and David also strapped on his sword. So when you hear, especially in Scripture, uh, scripture um, something three times, that's for emphasis. Strap it on, strap it on, strap it on. Everybody is up, and they're all about, and... It says 400 of his 600 men uh, were on the warpath. 200 stayed with the camp. Um, verse 14, but one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, hey, David is out to get your master. Um, his men were very nice to us. They took care of us. Um, Verse 16, they were a wall to us both by night and by day, all the while we were there keeping the sheep for harm. Verse 17, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house. So the servant, here's what's going on, tells Abigail, your husband has insulted David, who was nothing but nice to us while we were in the fields, and and he's come. He is coming, and we, you know, doom is at hand. Verse 18, Abigail made haste, took 200 loaves. They were rich, right? But just having 200 loaves around sounds like a lot. <laughs> but it was harvest time. There was a festival. So maybe this was stuff that was made for the festival, which kind of makes sense took 200 loaves and two skins of wine, five sheep that were been prepared, grain, raisins, figs, put them on the donkey, said, take this, y'all go on ahead, meet David, um, and I'm on my way, I'll get there as quick as I can. That's basically what happens. But she did not tell her husband. Verse 20, as she rode on the donkey and came down under the cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her and she met them. Now, David had said, surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness. He basically makes a vow, verse 22, God do so to me, I'm sorry, God do so to the enemies of David and more also if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. So he just gets this curse out of him, his mouth. And then verse 23, Abigail saw David. She hurried down, got down from the donkey, fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground and says, basically, um, verse 25, you know, yes, my husband's a jerk, um, 
you know, his name is Nabal, that means fool in Hebrew. Um, folly is with him, um, and so forth. He, verse 26, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, then let the, your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant. She pleads on behalf of the household to David not to do what you're going to do. And one of the reasons that she does this is that she doesn't want that guilt to be on his hands. Verse 32, skipping a bit. David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from avenging myself with my own hand. As surely as the Lord of God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him, and he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. I've obeyed your voice, and I've granted your petition. Very interesting. So there's relief. She goes home. Nabal has been partying. She goes home. He's drunk. The next morning, she wakes up, tells him how close he was to death, that she had basically appease David and he basically has a heart attack or a stroke maybe. Ten days later he's dead. Verse 39, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, blessed be the Lord who avenged the insult I have received at the hand of Nabal and kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned evil of Nabal on his own head and then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. So, let's pause there. We'll come back. Let's go to chapter 26 briefly. A lot of parallels between chapter 24 and chapter 26. In chapter 24, we have um, Saul presenting himself to the cave uh, uh, David saying, um, I can't hurt the Lord's anointed, um, and he does the right thing and spares Saul's life. Here in chapter 26, the Ziphites, you know, they just love to rat somebody out. You remember them? The Ziphites came to Saul. Is not David hiding himself on the hill of Hakalah, which is on the east of Jeshimon? Well, so Saul arose. And went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 chosen men to seek David and so forth. So they're camped there. And what happens in this story, and again, it's, it's worth reading. He sneaks down. He, he gets a, one of his um, lieutenants. They sneak down to the camp. The camp is all asleep. David and the partner sneak in to the tent and take a water pitcher that Saul had and his spear sneak out of the camp and then 
David calls them out. The next morning, he hollers out, thirteen, uh, verse 13, David went over to the other side, stood far off on top of the hill with a great space between them. David called to the army to Abner, the son of Ner. Abner was the bodyguard and the chief commander of Saul. And he calls him out. He said, will you not answer Abner? And Abner answers, who are you who calls to the king? And David replies, are you not a man who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your lord the king? For one of the people came in to destroy the king. Basically, you messed up. You didn't do your job. I'm calling you out. And he says, As the lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not kept watch over your lord, the lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jar of water that was at his head. In other words, look what I got. Saul recognized his voice and says, Is this your voice, my son David? He said, It is my voice. And once again, David says, Why does my Lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hand? And now, you know, in chapter 24, David basically is really appealing to Saul to reconsider his ways and to set this aside. But if we read this passage, now David is appealing to God, saying, it, uh, Let my Lord the king, this is verse 19, hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord because they've driven me out. Let the blood fall to earth away from the presence of the Lord for the covet. The king of Israel has come to seek a single flea, like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. In other words, who am I? He goes down. Verse 24. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. Saul says, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way. And Saul returned to his place. Once again, Saul says all the right things, but he really doesn't mean it. He really doesn't mean it. So as we look at all these chapters together, I want you to go back and perhaps this week read through them again and look at several things. First of all, one commentator made an excellent point. As you read through this, if you took a little colored pencil and highlighted every time you saw the word hand, it's fascinating. When it says, I will deliver you into my hand, or I'm not going to raise my hand against you. This, this hand, this word hand is used so many ways in terms of signifying power, control, the ability to kind of either hurt somebody or not hurt somebody, um, to welcome someone. It's just fascinating how the writer who's making this account, ties these chapters together. Apparently, for a long time, everybody thought chapter 25 was just kind of stuck in there by mistake. Or not maybe by mistake, but maybe without a good reason. But now there's a lot of things that they found that kind of hang all these chapters together, and one of those is how often that word hand is used. Another thing is, People make the point that Nabal is basically 
uh, highlights, let me back up a little bit. In Hebrew writing, it was not typical for the writer to explain himself, to make commentary about what was being written. But the way they did it was by how they put the stories together. <clears throat> so by putting the story of Nabal right next to, or right in between these stories of Saul, in essence, the, the commentator is saying everything about Nabal really applies to Saul. It just so happens Saul had 3,000 men. How many sheep did Nabal have? 3,000. Nabal was called a fool. Nabal insulted David for no good reason. He ignored the good things that David had done for him, just like Saul. It's really fascinating how all these things hang together. Um, in each narrative... David has every right to take matters into his own hands. He's being pursued by Saul, has a chance to go after him, and doesn't do it. He's insulted by Nabal, has every right and the opportunity to take care of him, but doesn't. And then in chapter 26, he's so close, he actually makes the point, I could have gotten you and I didn't. I spared your life. In all those three things, we have um, David doing the right thing. And sometimes because his own conscience told him the right thing. In this other place, um, in the story of Abigail, uh, we have God in his providence through Ab working through Abigail, stopping him from doing a bad thing. Um, people have made the point that... Um, you know, here is David on the run, and now here's this opportunity where he could have exerted vengeance. Um, was that some temptation there? Was that Satan saying, hey, here's my chance to kind of soil the future anointed king, to add some guilt to his legacy? Um, but yet... That verse, you know, when we're tempted, God provides a way of escape. Abigail was the way of escape there. So it's really interesting how those things go. And then you, when you start to think about these big, big themes, as you, again, replay the story, and I hope you do, what about this concept of justice? And when is it our place to take care of justice, and when is it not? Were there times when, when David wiped out, you know, a Philistine garrison and stuff like that because it was the right thing to do? Actually, Jonathan did that. But David certainly took care of, of um, some righteous justice, right? So there was a time when, when it was his place. But then this concept of vengeance, in Hebrews we have that verse that says what? Vengeance is whose? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So then this concept of providence about how God works things together, but 
and we always think about as, and a lot of times we do this as Christians too, about looking at the circumstances, right? And a lot of people, in a, there's a certain way of explaining God's will or of how people describe God's will, and, and often circumstances play a big role in that, right? And people will say, well, you know, God led me to this, and it's part of our language, that circumstances kind of brought things about, and, and we look and we see God's hand in this. But circumstances don't trump commands of Scripture either, right? So if there are circumstances out there that seem like everything's lined up, but it goes against some other guidance, then those are just circumstances, right? So David's well-armed. He did the right thing by taking care of Nabal's shepherds. Um, he was properly insulted, and the culture of the day, it would have been perfectly fine for him to defend his honor and to go after them. Everything was set up, but he didn't do it. Just because you, he could have done it doesn't mean it was the right thing. So. So how do we interpret this? In the, even in the cave, when, when he was there, was it God's providence that set things up like you should take care of it? No. You don't touch the Lord's anointed. So, so as we think about interpreting the circumstances of life, we always need to compare them against Scripture because, you know, they're never, gonna, they're, they're never going to... Um, uh, if God's hand is in it, he's not going to violate the commands of Scripture, right? Um, and, uh, you know, you, you see this all the time, you know. Some some person might meet up with the person that they think is just, you know, God's just brought them right to my doorstep. I know I'm supposed to marry this person. But, you know, he's not a believer. He's not, you know, all these other things that, you know, are... No, that's not, that's not what God had in mind. Not that God doesn't specialize in, in cleaning up our mistakes, but, um, but was it God's hand? You get the idea. One other thing to mention, and then we'll close here and get... Um, remember the big point about why do we even have these books? It was basically to show how does David ascend to become king and we have all this backstory why do we have all this backstory about Saul well these confrontations that David had with Saul not only helped shape probably who David was right he had these decisions to make where he was leaning on God and we know that the proper role of a what they call the covenantal king, a king who answers directly to God, we know that that ideal king is going to need to be able to listen to God and to take his direction and to, um, to control himself and to make decisions for the good of, of bigger people and to delay gratification and to let justice be in God's hands mainly. Um, those are good qualities of the king. So the writer of 1 Samuel is, is showing us how David became king and is also showing us why David deserved to be king.
because of all of this growth that had happened. So um, several stories that um, might seem repetitive, might seem, you know, this sandwich of Abigail in between, um, but uh, together they tell us a lot about his character, about how he depended on God, and uh, how he became uh, a worthwhile king. Um, so pretty good stuff here, and uh, there's more that could be had. But uh, what do you think? What do you think about those stories? Pretty interesting, huh? Yeah. We don't always look at things because we tend to read like a chapter yeah. or a few verses, and it's not all that often that we read three, four chapters in a row. Right. Whatever. So I think a lot of times we miss mm-hmm. a lot of the points that we could be gleaning. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I definitely would have missed it. I mean, I think so com- so commonly these commentators just kind of take me by the hand and say, yeah, but but now look at it, you know. And then I was like, wow, you know, I, I feel the same way. It's kind of like your life. You can meet somebody and they can tell you all about themselves, but you watch their daily life, you learn more about them. Mm-hmm. So we're watching David's life and learning more about it. Exactly. Well said. Well said. Yeah, those, you know, the, I mean, I, I'm sure we can all look back and, and um, it's those hard times that make the best stories, right? Those are the, really the crossroads that, that we're at. Um, those are the ones that we talk about. Um, yeah, uh, good, good stuff. All right, let's close. Father, we thank you so much for, um, this amazing account of uh, Saul and David, Abigail, and all the characters there. Uh, We thank you for how they show us not only um, about David, but also about our better David, Jesus, um, who did not take things into his own hands when he could, but stayed with the plan to make an even better story one that could include us, and we are so grateful. We thank you for this day and pray your blessings on the moments that follow. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody. Uh, Ken said there's-